0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. In the spring of last year, I had the wonderful opportunity and privilege to visit several, uh, to join six other ministers, and taking a journey to Central America, we visited three different countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. We did it alongside one of the missions we support. And the goal of this journey was to work alongside of the pastors in these communities. To work alongside them, to encourage them, and to do ministry with them. And I have, I have gathered many stories from that trip. And I could spend all day telling you about those. But one stuck out to me as I was preparing this message the other night. One morning we were in Guatemala. We woke up around 6 a.m., ate some breakfast. And then we set out to visit several, several homes in a community on a mountaintop. Now we didn't realize that we would be 17,000 feet above sea level. All right, we traveled by van for hours until we could go no more. Then we had a hike for hours. Visiting home after home, praying with people in this church. And it got to the point where we didn't realize how long this was going to take. And and we didn't have lunch. It was getting late. We were starving. We were hungry. We were exhausted. One of our guys looked really pale, and we were getting a little worried about him. And so we only had about a couple homes left to visit. And so we come upon this home with this beautiful family. This home that was built out of concrete block and tin roof, two rooms, a family of five, a husband, a wife, and three kids. As we came upon the home, they recognized that we looked like we were starving, we were tired. So they insisted that we come in and rest. And they immediately got to work preparing us a dinner. They said, come in, sit down, we want to feed you. And they kept calling us. They kept saying. The kids even introduced themselves. They're like, hola, familia especial. That's what they kept calling us, familia especial. And, and they set us down and they cooked us a dinner. I actually have a picture right here of the dinner that they cooked us. It was delicious. I don't know what kind of meat it was. I don't think I want to know what kind of meat it was, but it was delicious. They cooked us this amazing dinner. They, they fed us. And they kept saying, yes, familia especial. And I... I finally asked our translator with us, I said, why do they keep calling us that? And the translator asked the local pastor, and he said, well, familia special. that's what, that's what they call their church family. It means special family. They're calling you special family because they want to emphasize that God has given them a special family to love. So that's what they call their church, special family. Familia especial. Oh, we had such an amazing time. We, we, some of us had guitars and we worshiped with them. We prayed with them. We fellowshipped. It was a wonderful time. I have a picture here of us praying over their family before we left. It was just, you can about see the size of the room. There were two rooms about that size. That, that's, what this, that's what this family lived in. It was such a wonderful time. And then we set out with our bellies full to visit the rest of the homes. And it was getting so late. We started making our way back down. And as we're coming back by the house, we noticed the kids outside. And that's when we realized, that's when I realized something. As we were sitting there eating, the family didn't eat. And we noticed the kids outside with a, ban- with a banana and a baggie full of water. What they will do is bite the end off of the bag and suck out the water. That's what they were eating. So we came upon them and our translator asked them, why why are you eating this? It turns out that the family had cooked up all the food for us and they were out. So for the next several days, they lived off of baggies of water and bananas. Oh, that wrecked us. We got back to the hotel that night and we started to sit out on the porch and just kind of processing everything we had seen that day. And we kept asking this question. We kept asking this question. It's kind of a question we knew the answer to, but I feel like we had to ask ourselves this question in order to process. The question was this, what kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? That this beautiful family, this beautiful family of five would welcome us into their home would say, sit, let us love on you. Let us fellowship with you. Let let us worship with you and pray and let, let us give everything we have, everything we have to feed you. Why? Because you are our familia especial. You are our special family, the family that God gave us to love. So to answer the question, what kind of love is that? That's the kind of love that can be found in a true follower of Jesus. That's the kind of love that can be found in someone who truly wants to model what Jesus looks like. Someone that can model what the church should look like. That's the type of love you will find in a true faithful witness of Christ. If you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, not just do you believe God exists, but if you are a true baptized follower of Jesus, this is your life's purpose. To be a faithful witness for Christ. That is the purpose of your life. It is God's glory through your witness. We can actually see this calling in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus before he went home to heaven, he gives these instructions. He says, but you will receive power When, not when it's convenient, no, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is also what is known as the Great Commission. Church, there are two ways we are called to witness. There are two ways we are called to witness. The first one is declaring the gospel with your lips. Declaring the gospel. The second is demonstrating the gospel with your life. So we have demonstrating the gospel, I'm sorry, de- declaring the gospel with our mouths verbally. But that has to be authenticated through a demonstration of the gospel with your life. People can smell a fake. Talk is cheap in this world, wouldn't you agree? Too many people saying one thing and then living another way. It's, it's gospel Declaration and gospel demonstration. It's not one or the other. It is both. You cannot say you are about one thing. Live another way and yet be a faithful follower of Christ. And so alongside of a bold declaration of the gospel, a faithful witness is called to live a lifestyle. Here it is. Here it is. What we're talking about today. A faithful witness is called to live a lifestyle of increasing Radical generosity. Another way to say radical generosity is to say Jesus' generosity. Radical generosity is Jesus' generosity through the gospel. Can we all agree that Jesus is the most generous person to ever walk the face of the earth? So here's the main idea I want us to see today. The main idea. Because Jesus lived a life of radical generosity, a faithful witness will increasingly do the same. I feel like I need to say that again. Because Jesus lived a life of radical generosity, a faithful witness will increasingly do the same. This is the kind of life we are called to. This is the kind of life that Jesus points us to in Scripture. But here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. For many of us, we can often struggle living a life, not just a generous life, but a radically generous life. Radically generous with our time and with our talent and with our treasure. We can often struggle to give joyfully and sacrificially. That that is what we often struggle with. And some of you today, I do recognize, you may be uncomfortable right now because I have already said we are talking about radical generosity. So that makes you uncomfortable. And here's why. Here's why. Because the Jesus life, the Jesus life, here's what it does. It can call you out of your comfort zone in a big way. Radical generosity calls you out of the life of self-indulgence. Radical generosity calls you out of a mindset of, I'll just be generous when it's easy. I'll just be generous when it's convenient. I'll just be generous when it's not going to break the bank. I'll just be generous when I can get something in return. And I hope you know today that radical generosity is not just tied to your finances, but everything in your life. Why do so many people struggle with this? Well, here's the answer. Because sin can cause us to live a life of selfishness. Because the world we live in, which is broken because of sin, It can educate our hearts and it can train our minds to believe that it's all about me. And and so we often let sin become the louder voice in our life instead of the gospel of Jesus. And as a result of this, as a result of this, our generosity is more often determined by the world rather than by Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? So today... Today, we are going to look at Acts chapter 4. That's going to be our text. If you want to turn in your Bibles, if not, the scripture will be on the screen. And in Acts chapter 4, we see this beautiful picture of the New Testament church. And we see how they not only declare the gospel, but they demonstrate the gospel with the way they live their lives, with the way they treat each other, their familia especial. And today we're going to see two vital truths, two vital truths that we must embrace if we are to be faithful witnesses for Christ. So we're going to begin today in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. I love this story. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would begin to convict or minister in our lives so that we may truly develop hearts of radical generosity in your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Speak through me in this moment. It's in your son's name. Amen. This is such a beautiful text. Because we can see a glimpse into how the church treated their special family, how they loved and cared for one another, how they not just declared the gospel, but authenticated that through demonstration. There are two vital truths we need to see in this if we are to be faithful witnesses for Christ. The first one is this. A witness that is radically generous for Jesus pursues unity in Jesus. A witness that is radically generous for Jesus pursues unity in Jesus. A generous witness is a unified witness. Now let's get some context here. Because during this time of Acts chapter 4, the early church was starting to face some of the earlier stages of persecution in the New Testament church. Earlier in this chapter, we see Peter and John, they get hauled before the Sanhedrin, before the religious leaders. And they are commanded not to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. They were told there's going to be consequences if they teach the death and resurrection of Jesus. They could be imprisoned, they could be beaten, or maybe even death. So, what is their response to this opposition? This is so great. The the Bible tells us in Acts 4, their response to the opposition is they go back and the church begins to pray. But they pray not for deliverance from the opposition, but instead they pray for more boldness and to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of this prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and rocks the house, literally rocks the house. Our text is in verse 32, but let's look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Oh, that is good. That is so good. This is how they responded to opposition. And that leads us into verse 32 to 37, where Luke, who is the author of Acts, he peels back. He takes a moment for us. He pauses. He peels back the curtain for us and allows us to see an intimate glimpse into what life inside of the New Testament church was like. How they loved and cared for one another. How they demonstrated the gospel. And so this, this leads us into verse 32. Church, what is that first word? All. All. All the believers. This life. This calling. This life of being radically generous. It is not just for the few of us in the church. It is for All of us, the full number. I've heard it described this way once. The church is like a battleship, not a cruise ship. It is all hands on deck. If you are a faithful witness, if you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, not just Wilmington Church of Christ, but of Jesus Christ, it is all hands on deck. That is the life we are called to. And it says all the believers. Now at this time, it was about 10,000 plus in the church. The New Testament church was about 10,000 plus people at this time. So 10,000 plus people were all unified. They were of one heart and mind, unified on mission for Christ. The message of Jesus and the life of Jesus was uniting them. Now, for clarity, now because if you ask the question, well, does this mean we all just should go sell our homes and go live in some kind of commune where none of us own our own possessions? No, that's not what they're talking about. They didn't live in a commune where no one owned anything of their own. You can see in verse thirty-two, they owned their own possessions; they just didn't consider them as theirs. So they didn't live in a commune. But here it is: they lived in community. There's the difference. Not some individualistic, I'll just keep my faith to myself. I'll I'll just do my Christian life in a silo on my own. It was faith-driven community. Please hear me this morning when I say that if your goal in life is to do the Christian life on your own, that is in direct defiance against what Scripture says. If your goal in life is to do the Christian life outside of the body of Christ, that is not what we read in Scripture. It is faith-driven community. I love what one commentator says. I love this. This is an unknown author, but I, I absolutely love this. They had the same mind that they understood what mattered the most. They were utterly committed to the same gospel of the risen Savior, of the risen Christ. They were one in heart, meaning that a great... Oh, I love this. That a great spirit of love permeated the church. It permeated the church. That is such a beautiful picture. What we see here is a radical, radical life of sharing. Every member had a common way of sharing life together. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that we all like the same food. This doesn't necessarily mean that we all like the same sports. All right? True unity is not dependent upon the non essential things like that. True unity is gospel unity. There are differences, and that is what the beautiful mosaic, the beautiful picture of the church is. When you have people from different tribes, tongues, nations, cultures, hobbies, habits, all together in unity. The permeation of love in spite of it all. Welcome to a taste of heaven. They share to one another's joys and they share to one another's burdens. They they share their time. They share their possessions. Look at the world around us today. Is this what we see? Is this normal? Is this the kind of generosity we see in the world? In fact, we see quite the opposite, don't we? We see a consumeristic mentality. We see a consumeristic generosity. Go figure, it's kind of like an oxymoron, isn't it? Consumeristic generosity means I will give as long as I can get a kickback. That's not the church. That is not the church. Here is the mindset of the church as they grew and the Holy Spirit they begin to recognize this. Are you ready? This might be uncomfortable for some of us to hear. But they recognized that everything they had was not theirs, but God's. Everything from the clothes on our back to the car we came here in this morning, to the money in our bank account, to the house we're going to go home to, it is not ours, it's God's. This was the mindset of the church. A unified witness is a generous witness. So, church, this morning, are you pursuing unity? Or let me rephrase. Are we pursuing unity as a church? Truly. You know, you might ask the question well, what does that look like? How do we pursue unity? Well, we can actually see three ways that is modeled for us in verse 32. Three ways in which they pursued unity. The first one. The first one is this. They were unified in a reverence for God. They were unified in a reverence for God. All the believers, verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. Remember that one heart and mind. What what is that devoted to? Here it is. An increasing love and devotion for God above all and as an overflow to that an increasing love and devotion to one another. They had a common way of fearing the Lord. They, They were in awe of God. They loved him. They wanted to honor God by prioritizing what he prioritized and loving what he loved. Remember in Matthew chapter 22, a religious leader asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment above all? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There it is, that heart and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, an all-out love and devotion to one another must first begin with an all-out love and devotion to God. Church, are we pursuing unity and a reverence to God? The second way, the second thing we can see is they were unified in a recognition of God. A recognition of God. 32, again, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. Well, whose were they? It's a recognition of God. They recognized that everything they had, that, that n- none of their time, their talent, their possessions, anything... It wasn't their own. They're recognizing and saying, what I have is God's. This is to be the permeating mindset of the church of Jesus Christ. All I have is his. If God blessed me with a paycheck, it's because he entrusted me with that money to use for his glory and his purposes. And a lot of times what that can look like is using what he gave me to bless others. The mindset, all I have is his. Now, let me clarify something. This doesn't mean that you can never spend any money on yourself. This doesn't mean that you can't own any of your own possessions. No, God can get the glory through that as well if your motives are right. God can get the glory for you providing for your family. He can get the glory with you owning a home so you can invite people into. This is not a poverty mindset. However, it should cause us to pause and truly ask the question... Do I consider everything I have to be his? Is that the mindset of myself and church? Is that our mindset as a unified body of Christ? All I have is his. They were unified in a reverence of God. They were unified in a recognition of God. Number three, they were unified in a responsibility before God. This is so good. A responsibility before God. 32, one more time. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. When a brother or sister is in Christ is in need, do you know what that means? It means the church has an obligation to meet the need. Not just one, church, not just one person in the church trying to fulfill many needs, the church as a whole meeting all the needs. You and I have a responsibility to one another. If this verse isn't enough, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, listen... How can the love of God be in that person? Wow. Verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Not not just a declaration of the gospel, but by demonstration. Our love and generosity should be a response to God's love and generosity towards us. Do we realize that helping and loving one another and being generous to one another is a privilege that you and I don't deserve? Because that's the characteristics of Jesus. We are sinful human beings. We don't deserve to have any characteristics of Jesus. Yet God gives that as a privilege for us. Let's let's think about this. God saw your need and God saw my need. God saw our need for a Savior, and he took initiative to meet that need. He sent his one and only Son. He sent his perfect Son. Church, do we not recognize as often as we should what Jesus gave up to come be with us? Do we not recognize as often as we should that Jesus left the glory of heaven? He left perfect unity with his father all to come here knowing he would be rejected, knowing he would be crucified, yet he did it anyway. He left the throne of heaven where angels were crying, holy, 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 all to come here and have his creation scream, crucify, crucify, crucify. How can we ever say that anything we have is ours? How can we ever say that the blood of Jesus on the cross for our sin allows me to live for myself? Yet so often, we can feel inconvenienced, can't we? Let me rephrase. I am guilty. There are times when I have felt inconvenienced when called upon to help a brother or sister in Christ... And I know I'm not the only one in here today, and I'm not trying to press guilt, but maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to do some convicting this morning. Maybe he's trying to minister to you like he had to me the other night, because he knows we need to be reminded that you and I have a responsibility to one another before God, and we have no right to think otherwise. Our love and generosity should be a response. It should be a reflex to God's love and generosity towards us. So the first truth we learn is that a witness that is radically generous for Jesus pursues unity in Jesus. And number two, practices generosity through Jesus. A witness that is radically generous for Jesus practices generosity through Jesus. God empowers the witness of the generous. It's in the image of his son. Of course, he's going to bless that. God empowers the witness of the generous. So the question you and I face this morning, as we walk away from this place, is: Will we be generous? Verse thirty-three through thirty-seven paints us such a beautiful picture of the impact this had. We we, we saw the unity. In the church, we're seeing the generosity. Now we get to see the impact of that. We get to see what happened. And there are four outcomes. Four outcomes I want us to see of radical Jesus generosity that we find in this text. The first outcome is this. God's power flows. God's power flows. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify... To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now the word "great" here comes from the Greek word "megas," which means unhindered power. So with mega's power, they preached, and the word "power" here comes from the Greek word "dunamis," which is where we get our English word for dynamite. It means it means miraculous power, might, and ability. This is how they were preaching through God. Now, remember our context. Remember context. They they were threatened not to preach the name of Jesus. They were told there were going to be consequences if they continued to preach the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I love what happens. I I, I love this one little word in here. (laughs) They continued. They continued to preach. And more boldly. I love what God does through a unified church. He unifies them. He unifies them with a united voice flowing from a unified heart and the kingdom of God is expanded. The kingdom of God is expanded. Oh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to think what God can do through a church that is unified, that is in pursuit of him with one heart and one mind, God's power flows. I want us to take away this idea today. That God extends his hand to the church that eagerly extends their hearts and hands to him and one another. This should be the picture we're trying to paint our church in. We want God to extend his hand to us, the church that eagerly extends our hearts and hands to him and one another. So the first outcome is God's power flow. Now the second outcome of radical Jesus generosity is God's favor is given. Verse 33 says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. God's grace here refers to his favor and kindness. The grace of God is the favor of God given to the church of God here. What is so amazing... Is that non-believers were seeing what is happening. They're seeing the gospel boldly proclaimed and declared. But they're also seeing the demonstration of the God lived out through his people. I love what the New Testament church tells us. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us that the number of people who were being saved increased daily. Can you imagine? That number increased Daily, Why is that? Well, it was because this was something they did more than one hour once a week on a Sunday morning. It's how they lived their life. By declaring the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. Radical Jesus' generosity. When that happens, when people see radical Jesus' generosity, when they see the gospel boldly proclaimed and demonstrated, they take notice. They say there's something about that that is missing from my life. I want what they have. God's favor is shown to the church that is unified and radically generous by proclaiming the gospel and just demonstrating the gospel. Now, number three, the third outcome. Needs are met. The needs are met. 34 says, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who was in need. The word "needy" here comes from the Greek word, which means poor or destitute. All right, it it, it emphasized the person's needs, not their wants. And when the church seen the need here, they they started liquidating their assets. They started selling their possessions. They brought the possessions to the apostles' feet. They brought it to the leadership of the church because they were entrusting the leadership of the church to distribute those possessions faithfully and without partiality. Please hear me when I say that partiality has no place in radical generosity. We don't decide who we love, who we help, all the needs. There was a needy person among them. One of the greatest ways to experience radical generosity, but yet, more importantly, grow in radical generosity, is being a part of a small group. You hear us say this a lot, but we encourage everyone to be in a small group. Why? Because small groups are modeled after the New Testament church. We want our church to be a New Testament church. But as the leadership of the church this size, it is very difficult to know every single need of every single person. But when you are in a small group with someone, what you are doing is you are investing time with each other. You are growing closer to one another in God. The idea of a New Testament church... Excuse me. The idea of a new testament church it is not anything new. It's not a 21st century idea. It's taken from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 tells us that day after day they met in each other's homes. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They worshiped God together. The Bible tells us they did life together. When you do those things, you are going to know when your brother or sister is in need or hurting. And because you have invested time into one another, it is going to be so much easier to meet the need of the person. That is what small groups are designed for. You see, the the, the church in the New Testament, they did meet corporately, but they invested a lot more time into each other's lives. That is why we press small groups. We, We press small groups because it allows you to grow deeper With God and one another outside of one hour once a week, sitting in a row staring at the back of each other's heads. If you are not in a small group, I implore you to consider being in a small group because it will open up your eyes to the needs of those around you. Here's the last outcome of radical Jesus generosity. Generosity is modeled. What a great outcome. Generosity is modeled. Verse 36 says, Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus. That, that's an island off the coast of Greece. Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great nickname to have. What a great nickname to have. This is how Barnabas is introduced in the Bible. We read about him a lot more as uh, the New Testament progresses. But What a great way to be introduced. Hey, this is my friend. He has a name, but we like to call him Son of Encouragement because he has a testimony. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Out of over 10,000 plus people in the New Testament church at this time, Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us an example of someone who is truly modeling what radical Jesus' generosity looks like. What a testimony that is. He's one of many people who has a testimony in this church. But he introduces Barnabas and says, the disciples call him son of encouragement. He sold his property and brought it to the apostles' feet. What a great model of generosity. So church, what does that look like for us today? What does that look like for us? Uh, We have so many stories. We have a very, very generous church. We do. I'm so grateful to be a part of of such a generous church. I mean, just last summer, last summer we answered a call from one of our supported missions who said, hey, because of the financial situation in 2020, this year we have students in our school in Honduras. They were promised education, but they're not going to get it. So our church said, Let's answer the call and be radically generous. Our church sacrificially gave above and beyond. We raised over $20,000 in one month. We sent dozens and dozens of children to school in in a culture to where that's normally not an option. But they didn't just get an education. They also received Bible teaching. They got to learn about Jesus. They were provided two meals a day because of radical Jesus generosity. We actually have a small group of people going down there in March to see the impact and the outcome that this has had. It's gonna be exciting. We also, another one that comes to mind is back when the floods happened in Eastern Kentucky, we actually had members of this church who were affected by that. But because of the floods, we said we wanted to respond. We actually partnered with several churches in town to gather emergency relief items. We filled seven seven semis. Seven semis were sent to Kentucky because of radical Jesus generosity. And I'll never forget a young man, I will not say his name, eleven years old. He sold his brand new PlayStation 5. Took the money with his dad to the store spent every dime just to come and say I want to be generous that's what Jesus looks like the thing is these are examples of radical Jesus generosity as a corporate church but there are so many more stories of personal needs being met and they happen through small groups Again, I urge you to consider being a part of a small group because needs are met. I have testimony after testimony I could spend all day talking about. One, for example, is there was a small group who recognized that one member, a young man in their group, he needed a very specific need met. So without his knowledge, they raised money, hundreds of dollars together. They treated him to a special lunch and then they took him to the store right after and said, here you go, let's meet that need. We have a member of our church who is radically generous with his time and talents of being an auto mechanic. And I can't tell you the number of people he has helped in this church. That way they wouldn't have to spend hundreds of dollars at an at a automotive shop. He said, let me take a look at it. Let me fix that for you. Small groups who have raise money there was there's a member of the church who needed new tires for the winter they said here we got you covered you can't afford that we got you covered i learned after the first service of someone in our church who was in the hospital for an emergency they needed a blood transfusion a member from their small group stepped up and donated blood on the spot story after story after story of radical Jesus generosity through the church. But here's the thing. Radical Jesus generosity is not for the few of us. It's for the full number. It's all hands on deck church. Are we going to answer the call as a church to be unified on mission? Radically generous. Not just proclaiming the gospel but demonstrating the gospel with our lives. Do we answer the call? I cannot answer that question for you. I have to answer that for myself, and so do you. Remember, our love and generosity should be a reflex. It should be a response to God's love and generosity towards us. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, Be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.